Our New Testament passage today picks up in Titus chapter 1. Now remember, Titus is also called a son in the faith to the Apostle Paul, a true son. Not one of these guys who just claimed it, a real son in the faith to Paul. And remember, he's also a pastor. So there's a lot of pastoral work in here that gives you an understanding of the ministry. And for those of you called and for those of you that have followed the call, those of you that are in ministry right now, there's a lot of incredible teaching in here for us. So we start, Paul, a servant of God. Now, I, I got to tell you, this, this whole thing of a servant of God has taken on all new meaning to me after I read that Paul said, you know what? I don't try to compete with these super apostles. I'm a better servant. <laughs> it just, every time I read Paul saying, Paul, a servant. He never tried to outshine the super apostles that claimed to be something all this, all that. He just said, you know what? I'm a better servant. Paul understood a secret of the ministry that all of us need to learn. You know what? We can't out self-promote these people who are into self-promotion and into marketing themselves and branding themselves. We, we, we can't compete on that level. Because that's where they shine. But we can be a better servant. So you know what? I may not be the best preacher in the world. I may not even be the best pastor in the world. But oh, I can work on being a better servant. I can work hard and serve. I like that. Paul, a servant of God. An apostle of Christ Jesus. For the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, all right? For the sake of the elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords to godliness. Now, there's a mouthful in there. Paul said, you know what? I'm a servant and I'm an apostle of Christ. Not just to be somebody. I, I am this for the faith, for the sake of the faith of God's people and for the knowledge of truth to flow into God's people. He said, you know, this is, this is why God called me. This is why I am who I am, for the faith of God's people and for the knowledge of truth for God's people, which accords to godliness. Wow. So knowledge of the truth ties into godliness. Now, people don't like to talk about holiness today, beloved, but you know what? When you really know truth, it causes you to live a godly life. In the hope, of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages to come. There's that assurance of salvation, A of S, in the hope, the confident expectation of future good of eternal life, which God, who never lies, <laughs> people lie, God never lies, promised before the ages began. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the truth. Salvation by faith, is an ancient doctrine. Salvation by faith. Seems my pen doesn't work on the edges of the screen. Salvation by faith is an ancient doctrine. It's not something new. And at the proper time, manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Now, proper time. There is a proper time for everything. There was a proper time for Messiah to be born. 
There was a proper time for the gospel to go out into this world. It's a proper time for things. You know, one of the big challenges you, you face with young leaders is they're always so excited. I was too. And they're always so anxious to do something right now. And I was too. But I had a wise old grandpa. And I had some wise old people who would sit me down and say, now, David, there's a proper time for things. David, be patient. There's a proper time for things. You know, if, if you had to understand, if the devil can't stop you from doing something, he'll push you to do it too soon, and all it does is create a mess. Just like Moses, okay, it'll make a mess. To Titus, my true child in the common faith. So there is a doctrine of the sons of God, or sons of, sons of, of a, not sons of God, but we'll get it. I'm thinking about my sermon for tonight, all right? There is a doctrine on sons in the faith. To Titus, my true child in the common faith. There are, and notice, true child. There's many people who claim to be my sons in the faith. But you know what? Nah. But then there are true sons in the faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. All right, so... Timothy's role was to put in order. There were some things that weren't set up yet. Okay, we've had a lot of people saved, but things weren't put in order yet. Leadership had not been established. People had not been put into positions of leadership. There were people competing for leadership. He said, you need to put what remained in order. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, th this is an elder, all right? It's again, like in Timothy, this is qualifications of a pastor. Above reproach, husband of one wife, not one at a time. His children are believers. Not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. What is debauchery? It's it's clubbing, okay? It's going around seeking pleasure in clubs and stuff. It's, you have to remember Dionysus in the ancient Roman world that Paul lived was the god of debauchery. It's, it's just clubbing and drinking and just out seeking pleasure. Or insubordination. You know, you, you can't have an elder who, who's rebellious in their heart. You, you, you start getting a, an assistant pastor who's rebellious. You start getting a pastor who's rebellious. Nothing but trouble. For an overseer as God's steward. They have to understand that's what a pastor is. God's steward. Now, overseer here is the same word that Paul uses in Acts synonymously with bishop, overseer, pastor, shepherd, and elders. The same word. Literally, literally, it means the idea of someone who goes out and visits to see how people are. As God's steward, as a pastor, we don't own the flock. We don't own the church. We are a steward of the flock, a steward of the church. Must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, notice those. Again, these are the qualifications of a pastor. Remember that they're a steward. They must be above reproach. They must not be arrogant. 
They must not be quick-tempered. Now, get angry, yes, but quick-tempered. No, they shouldn't fly off at everything. They must not be a drunkard, person who drinks. They must not be violent. They must not be greedy for gain. They must, but must be hospitable. They must be a lover of good. They must be self-controlled. They must be upright. They must be holy. And they must be disciplined. For instance, you know, if somebody is a pastor, they have to have a disciplined life. They keep their morning devotion schedules without somebody following them up and wiping, wiping their sapone. When they say that they're going to be on time for something, they're on time for it. In fact, they should be a little bit early as a leader, but they live a disciplined life. Now, you know, there are a lot of people who say, Pastor, I'm called. But I look at them and I say, you know, you live an extremely undisciplined life. You know, you, you don't, you have no ability to discipline yourself. Learn self-discipline and then follow the call. He, I, all, every one of these we could preach a sermon on. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right. You have to hold firm to the trustworthy word you've been taught. Wow. In other words, you're not out, always looking for new truth. You're holding on to what you've already learned. And there's a reason that you have to have these foundational doctrines so strong, so that you may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. We have to be able to teach. And teaching has to flow from a trustworthy word. But notice also, rebuke those who contradict it. This is not popular. But a pastor, when he has somebody who teaches against tithing in the church, you have to correct that. People who want to contradict truth, you have to correct it. People who teach against healing and miracles, you have to correct it. People who teach against, you know, one of the new doctrines is people are going around saying is a Christian never needs to repent. Well, that needs to be corrected. And if people persist in teaching it, well, then you have to rebuke them. Say, well, pastor, they'll leave the church. Well, so be it. But sometimes as a leader, you have to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Now, again, that's why you often hear me say being a pastor is not about being popular, it's about being pastor. He said, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Now, please, Paul is pretty straight here with young Titus. He said, Titus, there are people in church that are insubordinate. They have no respect for pastors. They are empty talkers. Man, they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. They are deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, some of these people, they're insubordinate, but they're not empty talkers. Some of them are insubordinate, but they're not deceivers. But some of them are all three, all right? And notice, they must, they must be silenced. You have to tell these people to stop it. <laughs> you, you cannot have a fusion theology in a local church. This is why we have doctrinal statements of this is what we believe. If you're going to be a part of Cathedral of Praise, this is our doctrinal position. This is where we stand. Now, I know in the world today it's not popular because everybody wants to say, well, in my opinion, well, please forgive me, brothers and sisters, our opinion is irrelevant. 
What does the Bible say? What does sound doctrine say? Okay? They must be silenced. And why must these people be silenced? They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Wow. He said, these guys that move around, they don't just upset individuals. They upset whole families. They upset whole families. Teaching for shameful gain. They want to run around house to house and get offerings. Ah, because they can't work inside a local church anymore because they're insubordinate. They want to run around house to house, upsetting whole families, teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Wow. You know, please, the world hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He said, one of the Christians, remember, he's been sent to Crete. One of the Christians, a prophet of their own, this is one of their own prophets, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. He said, um, this testimony is true. All right? Here is culture. Culture's impact on Christians. Paul said, this testimony is true. Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He said, this testimony is true. Wow. <laughs> that verse always gets me. Paul said, this testimony is true. It always gets me. He said, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. He said, Timothy, or he said, Titus, don't engage in the culture. Don't just tell them it's okay. It's a cultural thing. Rebuke them sharply. Now, notice, sharply. Don't, you know, bark at them. Wow. Titus, bark at them, that they may be sound in the faith. You see, folks, sometimes, do you remember how Jesus was in the, in the temple those two times he cleansed it? Man, he kicked over the tables. He got a whip and drove people out. Uh, the modern Christianity would say Jesus didn't act very Christian, but he's Christ. So, of course, he was acting Christian. Christian means Christ-like. But brothers and sisters, Jesus understood something. Sometimes you have to use anger as a tool to control a situation before it gets worse. Oh. So he said, rebuke them sharply. Don't, don't, don't talk sweet. Be very sharp in this. That they may be sound in the faith. Oh. He said, the purpose of speaking so strongly that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myth and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Wow. He said, rebuke them sharply. Why? That they may be sound in the faith. Okay, number one. Number two, that they won't devote themselves anymore to Jewish myths. And number three, they won't devote themselves to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Follower. Sometimes these guys up here that are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, they have followers, okay? These people have followers. The commands of people who turn away from the truth. You have to teach them not to follow those commands. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. 
Both their minds and consciences are defiled. Now, don't take this too far, okay? I remember a pastor standing up preaching in a service many, many years ago, not in our church. But I was a young man sitting there, and the pastor said, to the pure, all things are pure. And he began to say, you know, young man, going to the beach and looking at girls in bikinis, as long as you have a pure heart and you're, you're noticing the beauty of God's creation, there's not a problem. And I remember my eyes getting this big. He said, you know, as long as when you look at that woman in a bikini, you're admiring the handiwork of God. And I remember thinking, you know what? I grew up on the beach. And like a typical young man, I had things I had to fight with about that. To this day, I don't go to beaches with bikinis. To this day, I don't do that. They're just things my eyeballs shouldn't see. Because if my eyeballs don't see that, things don't grow in my brain. You see, Uncle Lester used to say, whatever you feed grows or whatever you don't feed dies. Typical young man, if you go to the beach and you're looking at girls in itsy-witsy, teeny-weeny, tiny-tiny bikinis, forgive me, you're thinking thoughts you shouldn't be thinking and you're feeding lust. He said, well, that, that means your heart's not pure. You should be able to look upon a woman's naked body with a pure heart. Hey, you know what? That's taking this verse way too far. And unfortunately, this is oftentimes how this verse is used. But it's not to be used like that. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God. Wow. But they deny him by their deeds. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, again, we're talking about these same people again, these insubordinate, empty talker deceivers that are upsetting whole families. We're talking about these same people again. They profess with their mouth to know God. But if you look at their lifestyle, they deny him by their deeds. You know, I looked at a pastor one time. He had quite a Facebook account. And he called me and he wanted to come and speak for us. Well, to be blunt, I looked up his Facebook account because I know that's what every young person in the church is going to do. Before some guest speaker comes and speaks, the young people all check out this guy on Facebook and Twitter. So I looked up his Facebook account, and there he is in clubs, drinking, partying. And I said, listen, dude, I'm sorry, I, I can't have you. I, I don't believe in that lifestyle that you're living. He said, well, who are you to judge me? I said, I'm just another Christian who has every right to examine the lives of people who want to come and preach among us. I said, that's just who I am. Now, you can profess Jesus all you want, but when your lifestyle denies Jesus, uh, I, I, go by how people live. Go by how people live their lives and not their words. See, we, we live in a world today that is full of marketing-driven, branded-oriented, you know, Facebook lifestyles where everybody tries to put, you know, this the nice super spiritual spin on things, but they're living like the devil off Facebook. You know what? You can't go by what people say. You have to go by how they live their lives every day. These people are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, he said, as for you, now, do you remember when we heard that with Timothy? As for you, 
Now, you got to get a hold of Paul here. Paul is saying, as for you, Titus, just like I told Timothy, as for you, this kind of stuff is going to go on. Okay, this this is this is reality. All, right? All this stuff is reality. He said, but as for you, you can't change how other people are going to live. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Don't 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 teach the latest fad. Not the not the fads. Older men are to be sober-minded, serious, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older, older women, okay. Seniors, don't get mad at me. I'm a senior too. Older women are likewise to be reverent to behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. <laughs> you know, people who say, I don't want a woman to teach. Paul said he doesn't want a woman to teach. Um, Paul said women teach. This is why you have to study everything in context in Scripture. They are to teach. Lola's, you should still be teaching. Gray-haired and bearing fruit. They are to teach what is good. And so train young women to love their husbands and their children. Now, it's interesting that Paul never tells older men teach the young men how to love their wives and love their children. Maybe because it's easier to love a woman and love children. Maybe it's harder to love a man. I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek facetiously. Train the young women to love their husbands. You know, it's easy to love a woman for a guy. I mean, it's easy for a guy to love a woman. But ladies, men, we can sometimes, ugh, Train. <laughs> Women need to be trained to love their husband. We're difficult. It takes an education to learn how to love us. <laughs> Train the women to love their children. Now, again, women are usually the primary caregivers, and children can be incredibly, incredibly demanding. And especially for young mothers, it's very, very hard. You've got two or three toddlers running around the house, two and three years old. A mama just wants to go to heaven and have some peace. Train the young women to love their children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, not submissive to every man who walks down the street in a pair of pants. That the word of God may not be reviled. So here's the purpose of lifestyle. Likewise, urge the younger men to be, got this, guys? Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Guys, young men, you think you're going to live forever. You think you're indestructible. You're daring each other to do things that aren't right. Young men, you got to get control of yourself. Don't be controlled by barcada. Don't be controlled by peer pressure. Be controlled by yourself. Show yourself in all respects, all right? Now, here's, here's example. Just like he said, Timothy, let all men see your progress. He tells Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. All right, so teaching should show integrity, transparency, 
and it should show dignity, not yucking it up, being goofy and silly, okay? Teaching should show integrity and dignity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, all right? So a sermon should have sound speech. Your teaching should show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now notice an opponent. There's always going to be opposition, both from the world and from the church. Paul had a lot of people in the church world that attacked him. He says, so that an opponent may be put to shame. He said, when, they, when they see your teaching, Timothy, it has integrity, dignity, soundness of speech, well-crafted, well-thought-out, that cannot be condemned. So, an opponent, people who are against us, Timothy, may be put to shame. Now, now pastors, forgive me, there's always going to be there's always going to be people who are in opposition to what we teach. Always. You stand up and teach salvation by faith, there's going to be people in opposition against you. You stand up and teach people to love Jesus, there's going to be people in opposition against you, both from the world and from the church world. I mean, please, that's just reality. But they need to be put to shame by the integrity of your teaching, the dignity of your teaching, and the soundness of your speech. I remember teaching in Vancouver one time. And I don't even remember what I was teaching, but I remember this lady walking up to me after service. This is many years ago, back in the early 80s. And she said, I disagree with everything you say, but I cannot disagree with anything you say. <laughs> I remember looking at the lady and just going, excuse me? She didn't like the doctrine that I taught at all, but because I laid it out from the scripture. She couldn't disagree with it either. <laughs> Slaves, employees, be submissive to your own masters. Be submissive to your employers at work, your bosses, your department heads, in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. As an employee, we should be pleasing to our employers. And we should not be argumentative with our employees, employers, okay? Not pilfering. Hey, Christians, stop stealing from the company you work for. Not pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God. Now, here is one of the biggest truths you need to get a hold of. Just like up here earlier, we, we saw this is for lifestyle, the purpose of lifestyle. Here again, we see the purpose of lifestyle. That they may adorn. When we, as an employee... We'll be submissive to our bosses, please our bosses, not be argumentative with our bosses, stop stealing in the offices, showing all good faith. That adorns, that adds beautiful decorations to the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, I know I took a huge long time with this this morning, but brothers and sisters, this is important, important truth. So I don't think we're going to get to, to the Old Testament section today because we want to have a good time of worship. So I'm going to close. I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking now. We're going to have another time of worship. And then I'm going to come back and pray for you.
went way too long on Titus today, but as you can see, there's some absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing things in there that are practical about church life, about living the Christian life. Now, brothers and sisters, there are no perfect pastors in the world. There are no perfect church members in the world. But if we'll stick to the Bible, we'll get through this thing. And heaven is awaiting us. Father, I lift to you, your people today. We live in the hope of eternal life. We live in the hope of heaven. Lord, I come in Jesus' name and I just ask, let your hand be upon your people today. Let your gracious hand rest upon them and all they set their hand to. Prosper them in all that they work with today. Father, give them success in every good purpose that you have placed within their heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you tonight. Romans, sons of God.